Welcome to the Diabetic Fighter Podcast, where you learn to lower blood sugar, lose weight, and live better. Live better. Introducing your host, nutrition coach, type 1 diabetic, and blood sugar control specialist, Sean Wicks, the Diabetic Fighter. Welcome. Happy mid-January. I can't even believe it. 2020, the time is flying. I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Diabetic Fighter Podcast, where you'll learn to gain control of your nutrition, lower blood sugar, lose weight, and live better. I believe that nobody's life should be cut short because of diabetes. Everyone should have access to the proper nutritional information to best control their blood sugar based on their body's needs. Nobody should fall victim to amputation, heart disease, or stroke because we've been fooled into eating the way that the food industry has conditioned us to. My purpose is to help as many people as I can to lower blood sugar, lose weight, and live better. And I hope to help you too. My guest today is a type 1 diabetic, Mr. Sean Koopman. Sean has been a type 1 since he was a boy and currently works at JDRF here in Vancouver. He has a massive wealth of knowledge about the condition and shares some very, very incredible and a couple scary stories about his journey. Around 10% of all people with diabetes have type 1 diabetes. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease that occurs when a person's pancreas stops producing insulin, which is the hormone that controls blood sugar levels. Type 1 develops when the insulin-producing pancreatic beta cells are mistakenly destroyed by the body's immune system. The cause of this attack is still being researched. However, scientists believe that the cause may have genetic and environmental components. Type 1 diabetes, which was previously known as juvenile diabetes, affects children and adults. People can be diagnosed at any age, and I know that because I was diagnosed at 29. With a typically quick onset, type 1 must be managed with the use of insulin, either by injection or insulin pump. Today, Sean Koopman is going to talk all about his story and struggle growing up with type 1 in a household with another sibling, also a type 1, and all the challenges that he's gone through uh, as a teen and his life being a type 1 diabetic. But first, are you cooking from recipes that you can trust? That's right, you. Are you cooking? from recipes you can trust. (laughs) You already know that planning breakfast can be the most time-consuming, confusing, and frustrating aspects of diabetes blood sugar control. It's also the most important. We've got to set our day up properly with a proper nutrition uh, at breakfast time, okay? That's why it's so important to cook from recipes that you can trust. My mission to provide the best diabetes nutrition information and advice to diabetics and people caring for diabetics all over the world. And with my recipes, you can trust that you're in good hands. I would like to introduce to you the Diabetic Breakfast Solution, my 30 quick and delicious recipes that are proven to solve cravings and dramatically lower your A1C. Recipes that I'm using right now in this book are ones that I am giving to my clients that are helping them to achieve lower blood sugar, weight loss, and dramatically lower their A1C as part of my 21-day transformation program, and I believe it can help you to do the same. This book is not one of those boring low-carb recipe books that has the same recipes you've seen over and over and over again, and that are most likely not designed by diabetics or anyone that's really concerned with blood sugar control. So in here, you're going to find so much more than scrambled eggs. We've got all kinds of crepes, muffins, delicious pastries, um, casseroles, all kinds of delicious, delicious things. Check it out for yourself. Head over to 
diabeticbreakfastbook.com. You can download your copy of these today for only $7. Diabeticbreakfastbook.com. Grab your copy of these 30 mouth-watering recipes today. All right. So Sean Koopman, amazing guy. He uh, has been through so much as a type one. He's got an incredible story. I'm always so fascinated with uh, type ones that were diagnosed as, at, at a young age, uh, as a child. Um, I, I really didn't understand that there's so many factors, you know, that are going through that, that are occurring, you know, in your teenage years that, I mean, the last thing you're going to want to be concerned about is your diabetes health or even your health's future. So Sean has really uh, gives a good perspective on what it was like growing up, some of the challenges he faced, some scary moments. We talk about injecting the wrong type of insulin, uh, dangerous lows, and things that we do to help us maintain good control. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Here you go, Mr. Sean Koopman. How are you, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm really happy to, to have you. I always enjoy chatting with you. I think we just chatted maybe 30 minutes before we even started this darn thing. I was like, you know what, let's just record this because we're getting into some good material as we always do when we have conversations. For the first 15 minutes, I was actually thinking, I'm like, I think we might be recording. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't pull the old bait and switch on you and set you up to talk about JDRF uh, negatively. So what's the worst thing about working at JDRF? <laughs> Oh, well, let me guess. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They're, they're, uh, they're great, actually. They do a lot. Um, uh, they're an interesting fact that everything that all of the research advancements that you've seen in some way, shape, or form have been funded uh, by JDRF. So they That's have awesome. this hand, hand a lot of different pods all over the world. So it's really cool because it's an organization that uh, has different chapters in every different country. Uh, not every different country, but just all over the world. Yeah. Um, and so it makes it a lot easier if, if something works well in the Netherlands, it's a policy or whatever, we can adopt that and bring it over here and then we can say, you know, worked. So that part of this is pretty cool. Awesome, man. Well, uh, yeah, that's how I met you. I mean, to, today I, I'm really interested in exploring kind of your own journey in, with type one. But, you know, we did meet uh, initially through JDRF. I think actually my I think uh, one of your colleagues, if not your boss, was having lunch next to my kickboxing coach. And uh, the app, uh, he overheard them having a conversation. And he said, oh, are you guys talking about diabetes? Were you, you just talking about kickboxing? Oh, I, I know someone you could talk to. <laughs> uh, and the next thing I met you, and, and you wrote an awesome article about me, and, and we've become buddies. So, um, yeah, I'm stoked to have, have you on here because you've got a cool story and uh, you've got a great personality, might I say. Oh, thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was funny, too, because uh, I think it was you who mentioned that that guy, uh, your, your, your coach was like, I, I rarely ever would interrupt anyone in a conversation ever. But this was just one of those times. That I had. So that was I thought that was interesting as well. And yeah, I, I do work for JDRF, as I mentioned. Um, but uh, for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to be speaking from my personal journey living with type 1 diabetes. And so what I say doesn't necessarily reflect the uh, values or standards of JDRF, so I just want to make that clear. And I think uh, I think it's, it's a more interesting podcast, probably, if I can speak from uh, from the heart, as a, uh, from my my position. Absolutely. Now tell me every four letter word that you know. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's one. <laughs> awesome, man. So tell me, like, when were you first diagnosed? Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 10, uh, although it's debatable. Me, my, my, I say nine, my mom says 10. I'm just opting with her word over mine. Okay. Um, so that would have been, uh, right now I'm 28, so I'll put, put myself on the spot for math, uh, 19 years. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a, a journey, more or less. I think when I first started out with uh, the illness, uh, my brother is also uh type one as well I should mention so that's is, kind of how is he older I, or younger he's older, yeah he's uh he's 30 um okay. so yeah that's kind of I'm, I'm grateful for it and not grateful but uh it made it easier to diagnose myself when I was uh when I was showing the symptoms so that part so my mom has basically said like hey how about you check your blood sugar and sure enough I was like 34 point something like it was uh it was it was pretty obvious at that point Wow. And for our friends that are in the U.S., take that 34 and multiply by 18, and then you'll get your number. Uh, we use metamoles up here in the U.S. They use um, milliliters. So uh, it's actually a conversion there. Okay, so your brother is a couple years older than you, and he, when was he diagnosed? What, how old was he? He would have been four years old. Okay, so you would have been two. So yep. your, your your parents had already had a pretty good uh, a good handle on things for the times. Yeah. 
at, at the point that you started showing symptoms. Um, do you remember showing symptoms, what that was like? Yeah, I do actually. It was, um, I don't remember when they started. Um, I just remember I was starting to feel really tired and uh, thirsty. Thirsty was a big one. I was, I was just, I was literally stealing uh, kids' water bottles off of their desks. Like I was, I was that thirsty. Um, I was constantly going to the bathroom. I was trading my lunch for people's water. It was like, it was, it, I was, you know, it, I was showing really weird symptoms. And then I, I told my mom about it and uh, almost immediately she brought over the glucometer and that's, that's what happened there. Um, and then I went, obviously we went into the, uh, the doctors and I got tested and they, they confirmed. Um, yeah, no, I was, it was pretty, it was pretty straightforward. Um, I was fortunate that I didn't go into DKA or anything like that, but if, yeah. if, things, if things had persisted, I, I definitely would have. Wow. So, I mean, your mom then, or your parents you then had your whole house um, filled with insulin and test yep. strips. Yep. All the time. And it became uh, one thing that happens when you have a type one sibling is that your low remedies become uh, become like a hot commodity, right? Like if I get, my brother just likes orange juice. Like he, he's, he has type one, but he just likes to drink orange juice. So he, yeah. he'll, he'll, he'll just have these big glasses of orange juice and I'm going up for it looking because I'm low and uh, we got nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those, that's just one of those things that happens. It's kind of interesting. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. So, I mean, literally, you guys would have to be—you'd have to have backup plans, and then backup yep. plans for your backup plans. Yep, and uh, the, basically, the the bottom backup plans were always uh, syrup, because uh, that, that was usually we had some of that, and uh, and just the the sugar dish, which is like no one's no one's go to ever. So, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, did you were you you and your brother close when you were growing up? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, uh, we, we got along and we didn't, you know, I think we're pretty normal brothers. Yeah. And, and did you guys like, uh, bond over the diabetes? Or no, weirdly, you... weirdly not at all. <laughs> like, like, I think maybe a bit more so now is because I have a, I think I have a better knowledge of it. Um, but, uh, not at the time, like we, we honestly, we didn't even really talk about it together. Um, wow. like I knew what he was going through. He knew what I was going through, but I think it was a bit more of an unspoken thing. Interesting. So, I mean, I was diagnosed late, you know, as an yeah. adult, and I, I think I was 29 when I was diagnosed. And I, now that I think back, I was having symptoms for maybe five years before. Yeah. So, you know, I was starting to kill off my cells and, and this was slowly progressing. But I mean, as, um, as a child, do you, did you understand what was going on? I guess your brother, you know, it wasn't such a shock. It was kind of almost like a norm maybe for you. Um, how did it feel? I think initially, um, cause yeah, you're right. Like being exposed to it. I think that, that really softened the blow. Um, I mean, it's probably very different for households where there's only that one child uh, and it's, it's a little bit more traumatic, but I think since we already had a bit of a grasp on it, um, it made it a little bit easier. But uh, I think, I don't think I really overthought what was happening inside of me. Like I know, I, I know my pancreas couldn't create insulin or whatever, but I didn't really overthink it. It's funny because I was actually thinking about when that moment, when I did check my blood sugar and I was 30 point whatever. And uh, it was kind of like, that was, that was it more or less like we knew. And uh, my mom just said, uh, you know what, just, just cry it out basically. And I just, I just cried for like, I think 10, 15 minutes. And then honestly, after that, it was kind of no looking back. Um, so Rockstar. I was. It was. I, I think about it now with a bit more. I think at the time I probably would have been embarrassed to uh, admit that I cried for so long. But now I'm like, you know, that was a pretty cool mom move as well too. Just you know, get it out of your system. It sucks. We're gonna we're gonna be here for you, and uh, and that was it. And move on. Yeah. So tell me what your child like. Your childhood was in regards to interacting with your friends and going to people's houses for sleepovers and you know just being a normal child. Um, I think it was, it was a little bit more stressful for my parents. Like they obviously, we didn't, we didn't have some of the uh, technology that's available now, like CGMs and, and well, pumps, I think were just coming out around then, maybe a little bit beforehand, but um, uh, I was not a pump. Uh, so it was a little bit more stressful for them, but I was already at that age where I was kind of developing a bit more independence. Uh, so I was like 10 or 11. So you're kind of, you're not, you're not a little, a little kid anymore. You're kind of growing into your preteen more or less, or you're almost there. And uh, so it was, it was kind of tricky. I think it was probably stressful for my parents, but uh, ultimately I, I've always kind of been in control of, of giving myself my insulin and things like that. I, I took a bit of pride in being able to do that for myself. 
Um, so it was really, I was okay with the management aspect of it. I mean, obviously you, you go through phases too, where you, where you don't check yourself as often as you should be. You get a high A1C for a few months, but, uh, I think really the most, the most, uh, the worst part of it, I should say, was trying to navigate lows, especially when you're, you're, you know, at recess and, uh, you just need to go have juice for whatever reason. It's weird having, having juice as a staple to, to just to be a normal kid that I found was a little bit weird. Huh. So did you ever have any, um, any like drastic lows when you were in school? Uh, not, I don't recall any in elementary school, maybe one or two and they were solved pretty quickly, but I can remember some in high school and high school, I think is when it starts to get really, um, more challenging, um, because you're, you know, you're at, you're a teenager, you're going through, you're experiencing all these things for the first time. Uh, and, and it, I think sometimes lows can creep up on you because you're not paying attention to what's happening. And I've had, uh, I've had some pretty awkward experiences uh, trying to <laughs> talk my way through a low or it's, I, I can, I can recall a couple of times where things have gotten weird, but uh, yes, but other than that, yeah, other than that, uh, it was, it, it, it was a little tricky. And then when you start drinking and things, but so did you, did you have any buddies or, or female friends when you were a teenager that, that were type one? No, I, uh, I did not. Did your friends, like, did you educate them on what it was? Were they interested? Did they give you a hard time? Did the, was there ever any, anything like that? I think I got lucky as an elementary school kid because I was a bit bigger <laughs> than some of the other kids. So no one directly gave me uh, much, of a, much of a hard time to my face, at least. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think more so what I, what I thought was a bit of a misunderstanding. Like, you'll always get those people coming up saying, like, well, why didn't you just eat less sugar? And you wouldn't right. have to worry about this. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so that, that can be irritating, but it is what it is. Like, I don't mind if someone comes up to me and they have a, a false assumption of what type 1 diabetes is, so long as that they're willing to have that corrected with a, a more educated uh, perspective. But it, when, someone's, when someone comes up to you and tells you you're supposed to be doing something a certain way who has no idea what they're talking about, that to me is the most frustrating aspect of it. And I think like teachers can sometimes do that. Other, other kids can sometimes do that. So that part I found frustrating. Did you ever feel like you were treated like you had a, like a disability, kind of? Mm, not so much. Um, I think it was more so on how I handled type one diabetes. Like at the time I didn't really want anyone knowing about it. And I'm sure most people actually didn't know I even had it. Uh, I thought it was, I kind of went at it with this, you know, macho tough guy attitude. Like it was a, it was a burden to mention my diabetes or it was like, I played a lot of competitive sports and stuff like that too. And it, it would take like four games into the season for a, a low to happen when I'm on the court or whatever. And the coach is going, well, what's, what's, what's wrong? Why do you need to come off the floor and have, have a, a chug a full bottle of Gatorade? And, I, and then I'd have to explain it to them, but I did it reluctantly. Interesting, man. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about, you know, the, the discretion aspect and, and then taking charge and, and, and I mean, truly you can be so discreet that no one ever really knows. Yeah. You know, um, what would you, I mean, as growing up as, as a type one, if there's anyone listening to us chatting on the podcast who may be, you know, preteen or early teens or even late teens and, and they're having difficulty with that and, and struggling or embarrassed, what, what would you say to them? Um, I think the reality is, is that it's just, it's, it's one of those things you have to, you have to brave up to the opportunity to, to educate people. Because a lot of times it can, you can interpret people saying things about, like, uh, about your illness or whatever. You can take it as more insulting than they're intending to be. So I think one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice I would give is to just try and be patient and try to understand that they don't know what they're saying might be sensitive to you. And they'll basically be the bigger man or woman and, uh, and, and just try and educate them and let them know what's actually happening. And they'll probably be more respectful that you actually brought them into your world a little bit more. Um, that's what I've always found. Like no one has ever really given me a negative response to me explaining to them how I cope with living with type one diabetes. So I think it involves just a little bit of bravery. You know, you got, you got to speak up for yourself sometimes. Should you have to? No, but I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a good quality to have under your belt. Awesome, man. That's awesome advice. Or you could just take out your uh, insulin and say, I could put you to sleep with this. <laughs> I've always thought about that. Like if I was getting robbed and I just pulled out my pen and just like dialed it up and put it in, it's like, all right, man, you got 30 minutes to get to the hospital. <laughs> you got, yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting robbed today. <laughs> it's like that movie. What was that movie where he had like, uh, he had, he had to stay awake or something or what was it? Um, what was speed. 
the one with Jason Statham. Yeah, yeah. Well, was it was crank? No, crank? I think it was Crank. Yeah, and he's yeah. <laughs> he's drinking. <laughs> he's drinking all the energy drinks and yeah it would be like the reverse of that so you'd yeah. have to continue <laughs> to drink uh as slow as or uh, as much sugar and eat as much as possible while Absolutely. you're moving forward <laughs> uh that's funny man on on that note uh that's a good segue to have you ever taken the wrong insulin yes <laughs> i have and that always that always sucks what i find i do more so than um even taking the wrong insulin, because uh, at least if I take the wrong insulin, I can I, I'm I'm up and I'm awake and I'm ready to attack that. Like it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, a shitty day. Like no matter what, it's not gonna be a fun day. But what so, I what hold I on one up, second, hold yeah. on one second. Let's set this up. Let's set this up because if we have type twos or non diabetics listening, to this they, they probably don't know what we're talking about. So yeah. let's set this one up. So uh, being a diabetic, we have to take two types of di- uh, of uh, insulin. Rather, we have to take a longer acting which keeps our baseline within normal range. And then we have to take a fast acting uh, insulin. Now that long acting uh, has about 24 hours, they say, a little bit less um, of coverage. Uh, And then we have to take a fast acting insulin, which usually uh, you take with your meal or before or after meals, depending on what your style is. That's if you're not on a pump. Um, And um, that has coverage for about three hours and starts working about you know 15 minutes in, and that's to, to deal with any uh, spikes from your initial food. So one's a fast acting, one's a slow acting. Normally, the slow acting one you would take you know somewhere maybe three, four times what you would take for a fast acting um, in the night. So for example, I take uh, 80 units. Um, and then when I eat, depending on what I eat, uh, my fast acting, I might take anywhere from five to 10 units. So um, that's even eight times. So the problem is if you mix them up, uh, you got a big problem. If you're taking your fast acting insulin um, when you're supposed to be taking your long acting because your insul- your blood sugar is going to drop real fast um, and it's going to stay low, right? Yep. And I just, I was just, as I was listening to that, I realized you just opened the doorway for a lot of pump enthusiasts to come, uh, to come talking to you, man. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> those, yeah. Cause those, those ones are definitely like, I'm I, both, both Sean and I are, uh, are on manual injections uh, with the, as you mentioned, like that, that logic doesn't apply to the pump, whereas the pump, they use a fast acting insulin and it's kind of dispensed over a 24 hour period of time. And it's, it's a different, it's a whole different conversation. I'm not going to speak to it too well because it's almost a different language. Likewise. likewise. Yeah, but I, gar- I guarantee you someone's going to be like, you know, you don't have to worry about that with the pump <laughs> yeah. right after this. Like, I can guarantee it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, there's pros, cons to pump. I mean, just in regards to my training and things like that, it uh, doesn't really work for me and, and my, my lifestyle. I'm not against them. I think they're awesome. Uh, and I'm so glad that we have them, but, uh, yeah, tell me about that and, uh, and uh, let's commiserate over taking the wrong insulin. Absolutely. Um, so what I, so this one, I'm going to bring up one where it wasn't necessarily the wrong insulin. It's this, it's this, it's a similar, it's a similar, uh, it's a similar kind of side effect to it, but it's a little, a little more frightening to me because it's when I have a scheduled time when I take my long lasting and it's typically five. Sometimes I, I don't hit that mark. Um, but, uh, five to six, I usually have my long lasting insulin. Sometimes if I come home later, I don't have it on me or I was just ill prepared for the day. I'll have to do it a little bit later. So if you have something going on, maybe in the evening and you're not really thinking and you're kind of in autopilot, uh, what I tend to do is I'll do my Lantus, uh, which is my long lasting insulin without really acknowledging that I just did it. So then what ends up happening for me is that I'm put in this, in this dilemma about 20 minutes later when I don't realize how, if I've done it or not, it's, do I, do I double up and, uh, and, and, or do I, do I give myself another injection of the same amount that I was supposed to have, or do I trust that I gave it to myself? And I've been on the, uh, it's a double-edged sword, really, no matter which way you go, you, uh, you, you might lose. Uh, ultimately, <laughs> if, you, if you inject again, you're putting yourself at for dangerous uh, risk for overnight lows, which that has happened to me a couple times. And uh, more, they're quite serious. Like uh, one of them was, was resulted in a seizure. Um, so, so that was scary. Uh, but then the other time, it's just like, all right, now I'm going to be, I'm basically going to be high for the whole night because now I don't have any long-lasting insulin if I, if I truly did not give myself that needle. Uh, that to me is always a bit of a, a bit of a conundrum. So I, for a while I started ticking off when I had actually done it and eventually that just kind of got the gears moving in the right direction. And now I, I, I actively am aware every time that I give myself my needle, 
But uh, there was another time and uh, just one, one, another one where I had given myself insulin prior to, uh, prior to eating breakfast, right? So I bolus uh, in preparation of eating about 20 minutes later. And I know you mentioned earlier how, how some people prefer to do it before and after, uh, depending on their style. But uh, in this case, I, uh, I, I had it beforehand, which I typically do. And uh, I intended on going to the mall. My mom dropped me off there because she was a visiting friend in that neighborhood, whatever. I went there. Uh, I started to get a little bit low, but I didn't feel it. This was before CGM. And uh, I, I ended up just walking out of there. I walked out of there and started walking down the road to uh, another store. And out of nowhere, I just started feeling this like kind of convulsion in my chest. Like I just this, this, this pumping. And I was like, oh, like, like what, what's happening, right? So, so I start running. Like, I felt like it felt like I didn't know if I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what was going on, right? I've never felt this before. And so I started running, and uh, I ran across the street into uh, 7-Eleven. And I just, I just ran in there, went to the back aisle, grabbed, uh, it was actually like a, a juicy fruit uh, beverage. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I've never seen this drink before, only this one time. It was, a, it was like a juicy fruit drink uh and i just grabbed it and i sat on the floor of the place i opened up the cat and i just chugged it and the guy the, the, the guy working there clearly knew something was up and i was trying to explain to him like hey man i'm just i'm having i, I think i'm having a, a severe low blood sugar um i'm just i'm I, I need to just sit here i'll pay for this after kind of thing and he ended up calling the uh, calling the ambulance and i was actually able to kind of come to coherence check myself and after i drank that bottle of juice that was 1.7 so, oh, so yeah so that was and god the, the ambulance came by and everything and they they checked my blood sugar and all that stuff and i was like honestly okay, i know what i know what happened now but that was one of the most scary uh, it was the scariest time i think uh that happened to me because it was also the first wow so for anyone in the u.s that that's about you know 20 um wow yeah, I didn't. I didn't tell my mom about that later either. I was just like, you know what? Let's just keep that to me. Wow, how old were you? Um, I would have been about. I think it was eighteen. Like I was old enough to know better for sure. Wow. But uh, late late teens, yeah. Wow, that is scary, man. I've yeah. never seen. I've never seen. Uh, luckily, I've never e- even seen that number. I've never seen anything lower than a. Th- I think maybe a two point nine or a three. Yeah. Um, well, I think some that's of them now. Crazy. I think some of them now don't even go that low. Like I don't even, I don't even know if, and it's, it's rare to see. Cause even when it's that low, usually it will say like L O like it won't, it'll stop giving you readings. It'll just say low. So it's yeah. actually kind of weird that it, it, it still, you know, projected that number. Cause I, I, I don't know. Wow. It's still man. Very, it was, it was trippy. Yeah. And the worst, the worst, is, <laughs> the worst is, so whenever I feel a low now, I never check my blood sugar before treating it because I find if I check my blood sugar before I treat it, then <laughs> I start panicking when I see the yeah, number yeah. and then, and then I start getting dizzy and I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God. So I just treat it first, then check it, see what's up and then see how well I corrected it from there. And um, it's funny that you mentioned that too. Cause I find that's the drawback if you're using a CGM is that you're, you, you have almost like too much access to what's going on with your blood sugars. And uh, one thing that I, I, I realize is a, is a genuine feeling is that when your blood sugar is dropping, like as it's dropping, you f- like, I don't, I don't know if this, if you can feel it, but I can feel it. And the only reason I know I can feel it is because it, it kind of corresponds on my graph. But the problem is the, the, what I have on my CGM is about five minutes delayed, right? So I might be looking at it and it says I'm 5.6 and uh, it's, it's all going well, but I feel really low. And then, so you're kind of in this weird, this weird uh, predicament where it's like, well, it says I'm good. And then what will always happen about five minutes later, you'll just rock it right down. That's what I've noticed at least. Interesting, man. I hadn't thought about that in regards to CGM is the latency yeah. between the reading and, and the register on your machine. Um, in my, like in my experience, I, I usually start feeling I, my initial first uh, feeling of anxiety a little bit or, you know, uh, even before the sweat comes, it's usually for me, it's the anxiety. I'm like, okay, how much coffee yeah. did I drink? Hmm, yeah. Okay. It wasn't that. And I'll usually check and I'm around, usually around 4.9 when I start to initially feel it. And from there, I'll just have something small. Like if I, if it's like a tablespoon of honey or even if it's not too bad, I'll, I might do some crackers and peanut butter or something like that, depending on what's going on. But uh, yeah, I hadn't given thought on the other point that you had mentioned about injecting um, and forgetting 
<laughs> you know, Nova, uh, Nova, Nova, Nova Law. What's the? Is it Nova Rapid? I think. No, no, I'm not the insulin. No, Novo Nord Nordisk. I never yeah, get no, that okay. right. Yeah, the company. They actually have these pens now. They're called Echoes. I don't know if you've seen these. Yeah, the I, I, I have one. When I was using Fiasp for a little while, uh, Fiasp is also another uh, fast-acting insulin. Uh, it's it's a Novo-based product, so I've seen that one, and it has the. I'll let you explain it because it was pretty cool, though. Yeah, it's really cool because on the back where you plunge, it has uh, an L uh, LCD, you know, like a little screen, and it shows you. Uh, how many units you've injected and it, then it shows you within the last hour when it was it'll show you like 15 30 45 or 60 minutes so it, i mean it, it does happen we're like man did i take insulin did i i can't remember and and you just have a look at your pen you're like oh yeah sweet i took five you know five units uh, 20 minutes ago or, or you know 30 minutes ago or whatever but uh, i've i dropped mine and i broke the end of it oh no and I can't find one since. So if anyone's listening out there that has any, inbox at diabeticfighter.com because I want one. And I've even emailed the company, and I don't, I don't know. Uh, they're, they're tricky to get. They're, uh, they are really cool. And I think, honestly, that back, that back little screen they put on it is one of the most low-key genius additions to a pen that could have ever been added to it. Like, I mean, I think that's, that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they can be tricky to find. Uh, I know not every pharmacy carries them and I don't know which ones specifically do. I actually got mine from my endocrinologist. He just had them, uh, had them on hand kind of thing. So he, uh, he gave me one, but I don't know where to get it like uh, in store. Yeah, me either. I've, uh, I got mine in Newfoundland and same thing. I got it through the diabetes uh, clinic there. And uh, since being out here in BC for the last few years, I've been looking, I've, I've asked every pharmacist and I even called the the diabetic, um, I'm not sure what they call it out here. It's like the resource center, the di diabetic guy. So the guy's like, yeah, I'll leave a, I'll leave a, a bag on my door. I'll be gone for the weekend, but you can gain access to the building. Here's my room number. Here's the door. And I get there and he's got all these uh, pens for me, but none of them are echoes. Like, oh, arr, shit. Arr, arr. <laughs> Thank what you. I do, what I can actually do, I can check uh, if, if no one heeds your call and sends you a, an echo after <laughs> this. Um, uh, what I can do is uh, I can I, I can get another one from my from my endo. I think. I'll even oh. tell them what it's for. I'll be like, hey, I've, I had great success with this. I want to pass this along to someone. Awesome, man. That would be a rock star move. I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Well, hey, Sean, I, you were telling me once about uh, one time you happened to have mixed up your insulins before. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. I've done it a couple times, but the last time I did it, it was, um, it was a real doozy because um, what, it, what it happened was I forgot to take, I usually dose 50-50, um, so I'll do um, bedtime uh, I'll do half of my of my dose, and then 12 hours later, I'll do the other half, and it just gives me personally better coverage with the Levermere that I'm using. Yeah. Um, so I'd forgotten to take it before bed, and re remembered when I woke up, and it was almost about time uh, to. I, I'd worked in the morning a little bit. I was getting ready to go to the gym, so it's probably around 10:30, 11 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, "Oh man, I forgot to take that. It's almost time to take it again. I'll just take you know the full." I think that time was probably 60 units I was taking. Um, and what I do is I keep my long acting in a gray uh, pen and I keep my fast acting in a blue pen for just this reason. And again, we, we talk about being on cruise control, right? It, it's become such a, a habit that, I mean, sometimes I take insulin. I don't even know how much I dialed up. It's just like I, I have this place that I, I, I turn, like, it's like turning uh, the, the key, like your uh, key in your car, Absolutely. you just start. So I grab my pen and I roll it to that familiar spot, which is somewhere between five and eight units, you know, somewhere around there. And I just give it. So uh, I was winding up, winding up, winding up. And uh, for the amount I, I, I took, I think I even had to inject twice because it's 50 units and then I had to take another 10 or 20 or something like that. So I, I take my insulin, I go, I get my, my bag and I'm doing cardio. And I think I was in a fight camp and I was actually doing fasted cardio. So I hadn't even eaten that morning. Oh, uh, and I went to the gym, which happens to be in my building. And uh, I was on the stair climber and I was just doing, going about my business, listening to my music. And it literally, it was like someone took, took an idea and, or a thought and slapped me right in the face with it. <laughs> I just had this flashback of that was a blue pen that I was winding up. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, did I do that? 
Um, yeah. So then I'm like jumping off the, off the treadmill and grabbing my bag. And then I'm like, and then I'm like, okay, should I run or not run? Because if I run, I'm going to burn more glucose. So should I just go slow? Um, how should I do this? So then I start kind of panicking because I've never taken that much insulin, especially on an empty stomach. And I come up to my apartment, look around. And of course, I mean, I keep honey in the house and I keep those, um, those dex tabs in my gym bag things like that but i find with the dex tabs if you're going low sometimes i can't chew them yeah properly they're also, they're also the kind of gross <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry dex yeah, yeah they sorry. are like, <laughs> so they're great products they're they are gross yeah they, they're shit they're absolute <laughs> garbage um tasting but they work so thank you um but <clears throat> so i look in my fridge i got nothing usually again we'll have orange juice like you mentioned about your brother, my wife likes to drink orange juice. So no orange juice. Sometimes we have pancake syrup, no pancake syrup. So I'm looking around, I see the bottle of honey and there's a little bit in the bottom and it's, it's gone cloudy. So yep. you know when the honey's gone bad. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, grab the wallet. I go down to the store, which luckily is in my building because if not, I'd have to get in the car and drive. Um, and I get a, a giant two liter of Sunny D. And I pay for the Sunny D and then I just start drinking this. I'm like, okay, I know this is going to cover me a little bit for right now, but um, it, I'm still going to continue to go low. This is going to be an issue for the next few hours. So I need a lot of sugar and a lot of carb and I need it now. And the only thing I could think of was IHOP. <laughs> and there's an IHOP in the mall pretty close to my house. And I mean, we walk by there all the time and I always, I'm not, I've never even been a pancake guy. Um, but I do like to go for breakfast from time to time. And you know, I like a waffle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, th this is an obvious choice, an obvious choice. I can get in the car. I'll be there in three minutes and I'm going to IHOP. So I get over there and, and I'm starting to shake and the sweat's starting at this point where I walk in and you know yourself, you can't think properly when when this is happening um the sweat starts happening and and then people are noticing you're, you're sweating oh, yeah. profusely also, Sean, 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 you're, like, you're a big dude man you're just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm imagining what the ihop employees are thinking when they see you going in there with like severe hypoglycemia they're probably terrified <laughs> yeah well it, it's not a pretty picture because yeah i'm i'm big i'm bald and now i'm sweating profusely um i don't look normal <laughs> i don't look uh, i don't look safe <laughs> right. I don't look safe. Um, so they're like, okay, is this guy robbing this place? Is this guy on drugs? What is wrong with this guy? So uh, I open the menu. The first thing I see is this like quad stack of blueberry pancakes with syrup, cream, things like that. Uh, things like that. And, and then I, I point, I just point and I'm like fast, fast. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I mean, you know, it, it's just terrifying. There's no other. There's no other way to say it. It's scary. Absolutely, and uh, the, I think the people. One thing, actually, at one point, I was just thinking about when you were mentioning that is that that could have been if you had an office job. Imagine having to go in like so. So you're let's say it's before work. You're doing your workout. Exact same scenario happens, but you're supposed to be in the office an hour later. So imagine the the weirdness of trying to call your your manager, depending on the relationship you have with them, to try and explain why you are not going to be there, or even worse, try and juggle that. Maybe you have a meeting or something you can't miss. Now trying to add the anxiety of the meeting, getting there, and dealing with that low as well. Like that, those are the little things I think that a lot of people don't really think about when it when they think about type 1 diabetes and some of the the, the social uh, consequences that it can have or some of the things that it can impact your day with like your day is done at that point when you drop that 60 of fast acting your day is it's, it's kind of done right like oh it was done that's a day's work right there you that, yeah yeah it's, it's hard to come back from yeah i mean you know it doesn't matter how drastic a low is but it really takes a toll on our bodies and for me having that low I, I caught it before I really got low, but, but in other instances where, where I've gone low, just, you know, regular type one diabetes low and you correct it. I mean, I usually got to take a nap after. Yeah. It drains something. So there's some draining aspect to it. I don't know what happens. It just kind of zaps your energy for a, for a little while. Like, 
Well, that's exactly what it does, right? Because when we when we when we eat the the food that we eat, depending if if we're you know some some of us who do low carb, high fat most of the time, we're primarily utilizing fat as fuel. But for most people, they're using some form of carbohydrate, and there mm-hmm. are natural sugars getting in your bloodstream. So your body is using glucose for energy, and when we bottom out our blood glucose we're bottling out all of the energy that, that we have to, to use to function. So even when we put it back in to correct that high, it's like, it's like literally emptying your gas tank to nothing and then putting in, I don't know, like a, a coffee cup full of gas, <laughs> you know, and then trying to go about your day. I mean, you, you'll put around for a little bit, but until you get a good, you know, meal in you, maybe two, you're not really going to feel 100% again, and, and you've no. got to lie down. Like, you're done. And even when your blood sugars get back to the normal level that they're supposed to be, there's, a, there's like this almost kind of residual fatigue that hangs on there for a little bit as well, too. Like, it's not all about the – it does more than just what your glucose level is going to indicate on oh, the yeah. data. Like, it does oh, something yeah. else. Yeah. Oh, Do yeah, you find, I was wondering about that, actually. Do you find your lows are very uh, similar to one another like when you get a low is it is it is a constant feeling like or or do your lows vary in how they hit you like is there different qualities to each low like maybe yeah yeah no i mean it just depends on the severity so for me Mm -hmm. personally uh the first the very first uh thing that i notice is my, my hands will be shaky yeah so i'll put my hand out in front of me if my hands shaking i'm like okay well first of all let's check the caffeine uh, i'm a big coffee guy if anyone knows me personally i am i pretty much run on it so um i'll check that first i'm like okay well it's not that then the second step is uh the sweat will start yeah and when the sweat starts uh the next step would be it start to be confusion and brain fog um, and then from there, I have been to the point where you get the tunnel vision. Yeah. Right? So for me, that's usually the progression. Now, sometimes I might start, I might be, like you said, you're active, you're out doing stuff. I've been out with the dogs, uh, my dogs playing or um, training and just not paying attention. I might be sweaty already. Uh, and then you, you, you miss the initial signs and you go straight into the, yeah. You know, I, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's weird because when you're progressing, kind of not, I wouldn't say slowly, but when you're dropping from you know five to four to three, and you're aware that that's happening, it's almost kind of like a different low. And then there's that one where suddenly out of nowhere, you didn't even feel it come up on you, and you're you're already low. Like I've had that's happened uh, several times to me. And every time when I do see what's going on with my uh, with my blood sugar, it's like severely low, like lower than it would have been if I had actually felt it. You know what I mean? And and the odd thing about it is that sometimes I don't even feel low when I'm at that critical low. Like I have that feeling hasn't even hit me yet. Wow. So sometimes your your blood sugar, because you have the CGM, you can actually see that it's gone to that point and your body hasn't even responded yet. Yeah. And so this when this is I don't think it's actually happened since I've had the CGM because you're a little bit more acutely aware of it all the time. So this would have been prior to when I had the CGM. Uh, so you're, you you kind of feel normal, right? So you, you're just checking your blood sugar out of out of due diligence as opposed to thinking there's even really an issue. And then suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, there's an issue. <laughs> And you know that that's so interesting to me, and I, I think I'd like to have a CGM just for maybe I'd overanalyze things and it'd just be a nightmare. But you know what? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. If if you when you first got that, if you if you were a little obsessed. Uh, yeah, you. I was obsessed. Um, and also the problem is, and this is again coming from me personally. What I think uh, a lot of people do is they overreact. Or because the thing is, like, if I inject, um, if you're using Fias, it'll be a little shorter than if you're injecting Humalog, which are both again fast-acting insulin. If you uh, inject, you know, 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes. Sometimes even longer for for that for that Humalog to actually start impacting your blood sugar. So I find sometimes you're you might have it corrected, but your blood sugar is still going up, and you're like, oh, what's going on? And then you'll then you'll correct again, even though you already just did. You just weren't having the patience to let it drop. So it's very easy to jump the gun, I think, and start injecting or start doing doing things too quickly. 
Um, I mean, to, to a bit of a, a bit of a side note, there is a lot of tech, technology out there now that is making that um, harder to do. I know there's a new product that came out from a, a pump called uh, Tandem, a, a company that makes this new very sleek pump. But what it basically has is called Basal IQ, and it actually predicts lows that are coming about 30 minutes in advance. And what it does, it, it talks to the pump, so it almost kind of works like a pancreas, and it will stop the pump from delivering you insulin. So that's a very cool thing that's happening in the world of tech right now. But uh, yeah, it's with 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 the uh, with having that much information at your at your fingertips, it, it's it's easy to to jump the gun. Yeah, interesting. So it, it talks to the pump. Is that what they're talking when people refer to? Okay, well, this is a good segue because you work for JDRF, right? So you're you're well. First, tell us what what JDRF is. Well. We're an organization that uh, raises money to accelerate uh, the research behind type 1 diabetes, and it's to cure, prevent, and treat. Because obviously, when we started out, it's always about the cure. That's the, that's the focus of most uh, health-based charities. Um, but then it's, there's a lot of steps between here and a cure that have to be addressed. And a lot of that is prevention, uh, treating, which is the big one. I think we've seen the most growth in the treatment uh, aspect of it, especially if you look back you know, 50 years ago, there's always this guy I talk about who's had it for 50 years. So he's seen the evolution of what's available to treat or manage your diabetes. And I mean, when he first was diagnosed in, in the 50s, almost, or was it, I think it was 60s, um, all they have were urine glucose strips. And they would tell you, they would change to a certain color of what your blood sugar was basically 10 hours ago. That was, the height, that was the height of knowing what your of, of glucose uh, control. And then obviously the glucometers came out and they weren't cheap. Uh, they were big, they took batteries, uh, and then that evolved. And, and, and then the pumps came out and then the CGM came out. And now, those, now the software can link the CGM and the pump. So essentially it's operating like a pancreas or in, in a limited capacity. We're not there yet, but it's, it's the way I've always looked at it. So for instance, there is a pump out now called the uh, Medtronic G76. I, ho I hope I'm saying that right, or 670, 670G, sorry. Um, uh, and what it does, it's a, it's a hybrid closed loop. So it has, it functions in that same way where uh, your CGM will basically automatically tell your pump what to do. So you don't have to do any thinking about it. Obviously there's little hiccups that happen here or there. It has limitations, but that pump in my eyes is the black and white screen TV to artificial pancreas. It's only gonna get better. It's only gonna become more evolved. So that I think is where uh, research, at least from the technology and treatment side of things is headed. Um, so that stuff's pretty cool. And what's what's new with this new pump, and I don't work for Tandem, I'm just telling you because it's cool. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, so this pump, basically, it, it, with the Medtronic, you have to use the Medtronic uh, CGM. I think what the technology is going to lead towards is that you can mix and match now. Like now it's like if you use this pump, you can use whatever CGM you wanted to, and it will speak to each other. So that's, that, I think, is where you're going to see things are headed, which is it's cool. It's, it's a big step forward. Obviously, some people, it's not enough of a step uh, I think where it gets a little more tricky is getting that kind of technology covered for everyone because we're not there yet that, that's one thing we are not uh, we're not where we should be on that absolutely and for I mean it's so cool like the closed loop systems and and everything that's that's been coming out but maybe for people that aren't aware when we're referring to CGM what we're talking about uh, since you wear one I think you're the proper person yeah. here to, to explain what exactly is a CGM so what it is, it's it's basically you have this thing that you kind of uh, it's a it's called a transponder, and essentially, it is clipped into a small sensor that's inserted into your into your stomach. Uh, that's where Health Canada approves where you're supposed to put it is in your stomach. I actually wear mine in my arm. Uh, I'm just testing it out if it's more comfortable. Uh, yep. You'll see a lot of people do things that uh, Health Canada does recommend. I don't support that line of thinking but you know it's 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 your life you're going to do what you're going to do it's called um, research yeah research. and i mean as i'm saying that i'm literally doing something i'm not supposed to be doing <laughs> <laughs> do as i say and not as i do <laughs> right right um, but yeah uh, ultimately what the cgm does it takes a reading every five minutes and it collects that over a course of i think the cgm g6 has a 10-day lifespan so what it does and you don't have to finger poke or anything it basically gives you a reading every five minutes and with that you can see which direction your blood sugars are going and at what speed. So for instance, if I'm, if I'm 5.6, a little uh, horizontal arrow will point out and it says that I'm, I'm, my blood sugar is not deviating from 5.6 by any more than 0.6 uh, milligrams or uh, what, is it mill, milligrams? I, what's the blood sugar? Uh, um, Metamoles in Canada. Metamoles, metamoles, yeah. 
Um, uh, but since it's, it's capturing this information every five minutes, if I start to go down, that arrow will show me that it's going down. And then if it's really dropping, it'll be a, a direct down arrow or it'll be a double down. And uh, conversely, that's the same thing that will happen if you're high. So you can really get this kind of, you can see what's happening with your blood sugar as opposed to it being um, like a few static points throughout the day when you know what it is. You get to see what's happening in between each time when you, like if you, if you tested your, like how many times do you test your uh, glucose a day, John? I mean, generally one, two, three, four, like five, six. Yeah, that's about right. So yeah. now it's like taking those six points and if you were to put them on a graph, like let's say one's, you know, 11 o'clock, one's uh, three o'clock, one's six o'clock, one's nine, one's 11. So now you're getting a little dot in between every five minutes between those gaps. So you've, you're filling in those blanks that you wouldn't necessarily know what your blood sugar is doing. And one thing that I think is really cool about using CGM is that now I can kind of assign a feeling to what's happening, right? Because now I have the data in front of me. So if I see that I'm, I'm, I have this double down arrows, and even though I'm 11.6 right now, I know it's dropping, I can feel this, this kind of this, this low coming on, like you can feel the insulin work. And since I have the data beside me, it's almost like I can, I can validate it, right? Like I know what that response is. So even now, I, I, for a while, I went through a few week period where I didn't have a CGM on. I was really in tune with what was happening because I could just I could, I could kind of predict it because I'd seen it happen before. That's so cool. That's so cool. I mean, I, I think that I would totally overanalyze that, but let me yeah. ask you this before you started using the CGM, were you able, because I I'm pretty good at this now. I, I usually like to call what my blood sugar is before yeah. it reads. That's, how, always, that's always fun. <laughs> how good or how good at it were you before you started using that? Um, I was okay. Uh, I could probably get it within like two or three uh, units. Um, yeah. But I think that I think where like when I was low, I knew I was low. That's one thing I'm thankful for. I was very aware of lows. But I think for instance, if I was, you know, 11 versus 16, I might not be able to detect that. Interesting. That's the next question I wanted to ask you was, how do you feel when your blood sugar is high for a long period of time or a longer period of time than normal? Really, the first word that comes to mind is gross. Like, like I, I get this, you're, just, you're, you're groggy, you're kind of a little bit miserable because you know there's this thing. And especially when it's, you're having a persisting high that you're, you're, you've done all the right things to treat it, but for whatever reason, it's not going down because then you have that frustration sink in too. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, I feel it in my, in my throat, especially. It's almost like this kind of mucusy, like it's, it's really, it starts to, I really notice it. And that also starts to frustrate me. So it's a lot of frustrations building up and you get thirsty and all of that. Like, I mean, I, I'm good to operate a vehicle now that you're supposed to at, at being 16. Like all my senses are, are they're online. I'm good. Like I, I'm good to go, but I just feel great. Conversely, if I was three, that's a very different story. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, I chuckled when you said that and, and then that, that's not to, um, you know, that's not criticizing anyone that may be high frequently or, or is still learning to be in control of their blood sugar. The reason I chuckle about that is because, well, first of all, I was high for maybe five, 10, you know, five, seven years of my life. Yeah. Um, but especially, you know, the last few, few months before I was diagnosed, um, my mental health was deteriorating as well. Um, and one of the things that I noticed personally, not only do I feel gross and almost like oily like I, my, my yeah. skin feels like yeah. i know like, what you mean like I, I know what you mean yeah yeah like you feel like you need to get a shower yeah. um you just don't feel good but one of the things that i notice um if i have had poor control for a couple of days is that i start getting obsessive thought patterns mm -hmm. and i was wondering if that had ever happened to you oh yeah yeah, really. Um, I recently, and I don't know what this was, but I, I, I was using Fiasp for a little bit. And honestly, people have incredible success with Fiasp. I think honestly, when I when I first started using it, it was amazing. And I don't know what happened. Like I still haven't diagnosed a reason for why this did happen either, because because in theory it shouldn't have. But the the insulin, and I, I I'd use I, maybe I was using an expired one, but then I even tested that and bought new uh, a new version of that same insulin. But basically, what had happened was um, it wasn't doing anything. Like I was I was literally. I, I remember I was 24, uh, like really high. I don't get high like that anymore unless there's something drastically wrong with my insulin or something. I've, I've fully forgot to bolus, which doesn't happen. Um, but I know, and, and I was, I was just, just driving like, you know, like 20 units of fast acting insulin into me. 
And I remember I did that and I, I, I dropped five units. Like I was still like, I was just scraping the twenties. And uh, at that point I was like, you know what? I, I can't, I can't use this anymore. I need to switch back and do that. But it, it was this persisting high and I just couldn't escape it. Cause it, it's, there's really something psychologically defeating about, about doing what you're supposed to be doing and it not working for reasons out of your control. Something about that, just it, it's it's very, uh, it, it's tricky. It's tricky to navigate. But now I'm back on Humalog and uh, I haven't had that happen since. Awesome, man. That's good to hear. And you know what? We were talking before we started the podcast about burning out and by and, and about taking a, I don't know, I don't have a term for it yet. I, I've got denial of BDs. I use that one sometimes. <laughs> but I've got. I've got to get, I've got to get one for, for, it's not diabetes burnout, but sometimes you just stop caring for like three days. Yeah. Um, and it could be a version of a version of it's, it seems like a version of burnout though. You know what I fair. mean? Like it's, it's kind of like you need that mental escape maybe. I don't know. Fair. And I mean, we were talking about, about that, you know, pretty, pretty honestly how, you know, even everyone that has the, the best control and, and is most diligent about it, I mean, it's a lot of stuff we have to do to manage it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think for anyone that has gone through that, uh, I mean, for me, and I, and I think probably for you, just because we're dealing with this from day to day in, in our profession, um, it's more in the foreground of our mind. Yeah. So even if we do, quote unquote, slip, take a day off, take a few days off or, or just not for me personally. I, I know that sometimes I'm like, Oh man, I check my blood sugar later. I might do it once. You know, I still took insulin that day and I was yep. totally off my game. But for anybody that is, I'm not sure if this happened to you, but has gone so far now where they're totally defeated. Yeah. Do you have any advice, man, from your perspective and, and from your experience that you could give to someone like that? Yeah, like I, I do, but it's, it's obviously going to be different for every person and what they're going through. I think the part that gets really left out of the equation is what's going on in your life around you. I mean, it could be relationship problems. It could be any financial problems, any, anything that, that's really kind of creating anxiety for you and, and, and making life a little bit more difficult. That, that immediately demotes diabetes, right? Like it, it immediately takes a step down and becomes less of a priority. And sometimes when those things start piling up, it really sinks down fast and uh it's just easy to, to to not think about like it's easy to put that on the back burner you already have so much going on you're already feeling miserable i mean i think i think what it really comes back to is uh i know i know diabetes is a huge trigger of mental health issues where we're seeing that more more and more now um but i think it's really trying to be able to take control of what you can and i think it's good to remind yourself that diabetes is one of those things you can have control of so if if it's, it's if it feels like you're losing the grips on your life a little bit remember that diabetes is one of the things that you can take control of i mean it does take commitment and that's tough especially when you're in a time when you when you don't feel like you want to be committed to anything or you don't want to be tied down to something um it, it's hard to it's hard to bring it back up uh as a priority but i think it's uh, of of the priorities in your life that you can take control of i think it's actually one of the easiest Maybe easiest is the wrong, isn't the right word, but I think it's, it's the most doable that you, you have full control over most of the time. Absolutely, man. And I, I can't, I can't thank you enough for saying that because the, I say that a lot and sometimes I forget it, you know, to hear it from someone else is really important. And I think I remember the day, you know, I don't remember specifically the day, but I do remember the time when I was like, you know what, this is the most manageable condition I can have. Mm-hmm. And it was probably a year after I was diagnosed where I was like, you know what, screw this, man. I'm, I'm going to take control of this and I'm, I'm going to own this and I'm going to, I'm going to fight this and I'm, I'm going to, you know, live my life. It's not going to, it's not going to beat me, but it is one of the most manageable conditions that you have, but it does take work. And I always say, it's like, it's like if life was a video game, it's like playing on expert mode. Yeah. That's what it is. I mean, oh, you're, not gonna, you're not going to, you're not going to be good. I play Tekken, especially with my wife. She's for some, for some reason she's so good at Street Fighter and Tekken. I mean, she's we don't even play, we don't even have a console. But uh, you know, you put it on expert mode. Yeah, you're gonna get your butt kicked. But the more yeah. that you practice, the more you play, you're gonna get better. You're gonna learn the tricks. You're gonna learn the secret moves. 
right? You're Absolutely. going to be able to overcome each and every opponent or each and every year of your life. And the more that you practice and the more that you implement all the tools that you have, the better you're going to get, right? Absolutely. And every good day is a win. Like, don't forget it quickly. Like, if you have a good day where your blood sugars stay within, you know, a really a comfortable range or a range that's good for you, don't forget that you did that the next day. Don't forget that. Don't don't let it just be a, a thing that happened. Like, like build on that and make it make, and start implementing it into your life and, and making it that that priority that it needs to be. And that's why I corrected myself when I use the term easy, because it, in no way, shape or form is uh, taking control of it easy. Uh, but it's it's just something you have to work for. And I think one of the big uh, the big pluses to living with type one diabetes, I know there's not many, but there's there's a big one here, and that is that you kind of adopt this diligence uh, that I think a lot of other people it's it's harder for them to acquire. Um, and I think when you start to when you start to really take control of it and know what works, it, it brings you a certain confidence and it, and i I think it's a skill set that can be applied uh, well outside managing your type one diabetes. So that is one thing I think once you kind of master it or get a, get a grip on it, I think it really does wonders for, for yourself as a person. I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. I mean, in, in my business, I work with type ones, type twos, non-diabetics, athletes, the whole thing. But I mean, putting aside the, the pro fighters that I work with, um, the type ones are the most dedicated, driven, and even if they're coming from a place of total burnout or total exhaustion, they'll put the work in. Yeah. You know, they'll put the work in and they'll be accountable. Sometimes you need to just ask for help though. And there's nothing Absolutely. wrong with that. Right. You can't, you can't feel afraid of that too. Like I spent most of my life avoiding all of the support groups and things like that. Um, and it was largely because I didn't really want to identify with their problems and things like that. Like I didn't want it to feel like I, I had this illness and I, I thought going to those places was going to only perpetuate that. Um, but then you start to realize when you start hitting the wall and you start running out of answers and you, and you need help, it, you kind of build this wall up around yourself and you got to tear it down, right? Like, cause you need, you need to be able to talk to someone who knows what it's like. It just makes it better. Like you, you can understand it more. You have an outside perspective, but when you need to, you need help, you have to ask, like you have to ask it. You have to put yourself out there and ask it because there are people who have been through it. And there's always someone that's going to be willing to, you know, give you a shoulder, at least give you a bit of advice and, and, and who can relate to you. Man, that is some well said stuff right there on that note, man. Do you have anything you want to tell us about, promote, um, you know, anything at all you want you want to leave leave us with today? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, right now, so I'm gonna revert back to a little bit of a JDRF uh, mandate here, but it's it's really quality stuff. Um, there's uh, there is a campaign that is still going on. Um, or actually, no, it just finished. Uh, we started we started a campaign called uh, Dear Type One, and it was an invitation to. Um, to people living with the disease or people who uh, were living with a loved one with the disease to share their story. Um, so I know we're gonna be launching a new campaign in the uh, in 2020 that will be a similar invitation for people living with type one to share their stories. Um, and we, we I really encourage people to do that because I think the more we make it a conversation, the more we have examples of what it is like to live with type one, the uh, bigger a conversation it becomes. Um, so that I think is, is is something to look out for. Unfortunately, I don't believe the campaign has actually been launched yet. So I'm just a couple. I think I'm a year, a few months uh, premature in promoting this. But uh, there's that. And then the big one that I, I would like uh, anyone listening to just have a look at is our Access for All campaign. And I do apologize. This is uh, it's it's Canadian based, uh, but it's it's getting CGMs and flash glucose monitors covered by the government. So I know we're talking a lot about CGMs today. It would be giving um, families uh, access to that technology without it being such a burden on their insurance. Because uh, the only reason I even have the CGM is because I work at a place that really takes care of their type 1 diabetes uh, employees or their employees living with it, I should say. Um, and so I have good coverage for it. I'm very fortunate for that, but I know it's a reality that a lot of people don't. So what this step is, is moving forward to make sure that they can access that. Because in my, in my humble opinion, I've always thought that it's a lot easier to address um, instances of lows or highs when you know what's happening all the time. Like that knowledge gives you such a better uh, guideline for, for blood sugar control. And I think every family deserves to have that. So if you can go on jdrf.ca and look for access for all, and it's just a petition. We're just trying to bring it up and escalate it. So it is something that will be discussed uh, on a federal level. And hopefully one day uh, all families will have access to it. Uh, currently in Ontario and uh, Quebec, they've actually covered flash glucose monitors. So I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the Freestyle Libre. 
uh, that is actually now covered by the government, which is a big, it's a big step forward, but it's not, uh, it's not a big enough step yet. We're not there yet, but it is, it is, it's getting the ball rolling a little bit. So anyone out there, please uh, have a look at the Access for All campaign and uh, sign that. Uh, greatly appreciated for a lot of type one families. So that's, that's really, that's really all I got from the JDRF level here. And uh, I'm very happy to see that everything with your uh, with your current diabetic fighter is going really well. That's always nice to see. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I mean, access for all. Check it out. I'm going to promote that on every episode that I can. I've also got a mother. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Uh, I have a mother of a type one who's uh, only a few months old in Quebec. Uh, I've been doing some uh, helping her out a little bit. and She's got an organization now that that's also doing something similar to try Ooh. to get those pumps um, uh, pumps covered by by the government. Uh, she's going to be coming on the show, I think, in the next week or two. So that'll be cool to to, awesome. to get that Quebec. Uh, and maybe I'll I'll try to get you guys together, something like that, and and see if you guys can. I don't know. Maybe there's someone JDRF out there that we can put her in touch with as well. But um, I can't thank you enough for doing this, man. I really always enjoy talking to you and um just hearing your perspective it's been real great and i think there's a lot of great takeaways here for anyone that's struggling you know man it's it's always a pleasure i was actually looking at my clock going like damn it's already over like uh, <laughs> I, was, I was enjoying this it was uh, it was a lot of fun uh talking with you again sean it is always a pleasure awesome so i'm gonna wrap this up here now i want to i want you to stick around for a second because i got some exciting news that i want to bring to your attention very top secret so no one that's uh, listening to this is going to find out anytime soon <laughs> maybe soon but we'll see um thank you so so much sean koopman uh from jdrf but uh, more more than that man it's always a pleasure thank you so much no problem man talk to you soon thank you for listening to the diabetic fighter podcast diabetic fighter podcast for more information on how you can take back control of your health and transform your life check out diabeticfighter.com be sure to tune in every monday for new episodes and don't forget to subscribe and share thanks for listening to the diabetic fighter podcast